The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Interlude, Inner Universe, written by Mercedes Lackey. So, thanks to Tesla and Marconi, I had the math. The math. The glorious, glorious math. And the physics that defined how the medicines had built their computers, and specifically, the storage. If I'd had time, I would have wallowed in it. But I didn't have time. None of us had time. There were a hundred fires to put out, and not enough of us. But at least if I could get Tesla and Marconi out of Merck and Ramona's skulls, we'd have two more brains to put to work— and the two eggheads would have a home that no one would be able to destroy again. I had the feeling that knowing they were invulnerable would allow them to put all of their formidable intelligence at our disposal. But before I could give them their new home, I had to test it first. And I knew just how to do that. Little Eight Ball, my predictive program, had been showing signs of developing into an A.I., and my gut was telling me that the only thing holding it back from blooming into a robust early warning system was a lack of memory and a lack of data. The lack of data was easy to supply. Lack of memory, not so much. Until now. But now I had everything I needed that told me how the medicines had built their memory modules. I couldn't create them, of course. No one could. We didn't have the tech. But I didn't need to create them. I could reinvent them, creating them with magic. It was amazing stuff, and part of me mourned that we needed to build the tools to build the tools to build the tools to recreate them, and... Yeah. No time. <laughs> no time. If we lived through this, then... If we hadn't been blasted back to the Dark Ages. Not quite quantum storage, but not far off. Just as I had created the magic interface that worked with Tesla's Interocitor, I could create the magic memory that would work with one of my terminals, upload 8-ball to it, and give it... room to breathe. It was already self-modifying. Once it had space... Well, I'd see what it could do. This was not unlike making a talismanic object, a blessed or cursed item, or one of my energy storage crystals. It was more precise work than any of these, but nothing I couldn't handle with enough caffeine and protein. And this had priority over just about everything but running Overwatch 2, because the longer Tesla and Marconi stayed in Merck and Ramona's heads the more likely it became they'd start to lose memories. They were, after all, formerly electronic entities with unlimited storage capacity, now crammed into meat space. For a while, the magic that had put them there would help them retain everything. But entropy is not our friend, in magic or physics, and I needed to get them out of there fast before the magic wore thin. And 
Don't ask me if they were souls. Ask Sarah. Souls are not my department. I don't do philosophy. I do math and physics. I leave the speculation to those who are qualified to make it. The obvious advantage to testing this magical model of a physical construct on 8-Ball was that I'd have a backup of 8-Ball in case I got something wrong. There were no backups possible for the eggheads. It took about three days for me to be sure I understood the math completely. It took another two to translate it into mathemagic. It took almost no time to do the actual build, once I put an interface to M-Space and got the ball rolling. It's the old Sorcerer's Apprentice spell. All I had to do was build one module, then tell the spell to build another just like it, and like the splinters turning into broomstick golems, the modules multiplied until I told them to stop. Of course, I left the ability to start replicating again in place, and an energy siphon with a regulator, and yeah, I know I am making no sense. Take it as read that once 8-Ball was in place, on the remote chance that it'd need more memory, it'd be able to make it without needing my help, or putting the kind of drain on the local magic supply that would cause problems. And I planned to put the same system in on the Egghead's new home, once I knew I had all the kinks ironed out. So once I got things going, on Bella's orders and with assurance from Sam and Dean they'd wake me if all hell broke loose, I caught some shut-eye. When I woke again, it was ready for the trial run, which went flawlessly, so much so that I shoved the backup of 8-Ball in my long-term storage, attached 8-Ball's new home to carefully loaded data storage, all the things I'd wanted to attach that I hadn't been able to, and went back to work making the odd couple their new home. A home with the advantage that it literally could not be physically destroyed, and it had all the connectivity to everything even remotely linked to the Internet that I did. They'd had to sip at the rest of the world through the tiny straw that Midas had given them. I couldn't help but wonder what they'd do with their new freedom. And I had a plan to make every possible connection to the Internet that I could tag accessible to them, so we'd be able to talk to them, and they'd be able to watch and listen through those connections. More law of contamination stuff. I could get that particular ball rolling by tagging my own terminals, and then, like a magic virus, the tagging spell would spread from there. I'd have been worried they might lose themselves in endless porn, but there were two things about both of them that kind of precluded that. First, neither of them had that sort of personality, and second, no bodies to stimulate. Without that, porn gets pretty boring pretty fast. You might be wondering why I didn't feel that sense of elation I got when I completed Overwatch, and especially Overwatch 2. That's because I hadn't created this system. I'd merely translated it from the math and physical expression to math and mathemagic in M-space. It was satisfying to do, and it was really refreshing to get an actual success after the pounding we'd been taken lately. But it was the satisfaction you get from crafting something from a set of instructions, 
not the giddy rush of joy you get from creating something completely your own. Nevertheless, a good workmanlike job gives satisfaction all its own, particularly now, when it seemed as if there was a hundred times more destruction going on than creation. And meanwhile, every so often, I fed Eight Ball another data burst. Already it was coming up with some interesting stuff that I would have loved to look at, but I only had two hands and one brain. It was... I lost count of the days later, but the eggshells were up and running, and I got back from doing the transfer and dumped myself into my chair, feeling that even if the world was going to hell, at least I had won one small battle. I was about to reach for my coffee when the new terminal eight ball was hooked to gave an odd little warble. It wasn't the alert. I'd coded that to lift me out of my chair and wake the dead. This was something entirely new, and it made me spin around in my chair so fast I nearly got whiplash. The screen was blank, and for a moment I wondered if I had hallucinated the sound. I'd been working awfully hard on very little sleep. Then, the cursor moved. Hello? That is the right salutation, yes? Hello? I blinked, and I almost typed back, but then I remembered I had a mic hooked up so I could do voice commands. Hello, eight ball? That's right. Oh, good. Hello, creator. I felt dizzy for a moment. Uh, no, don't call me that. I'm just Vicky. Jesus, I am not ready to be called a creator or... No, no, no. Something... Unexpected had just happened. Unexpected, but by no means impossible. Jeannie was right. When you started mixing magic with the real world, you opened the door to all sorts of things. And sure, this could have been pseudo-AI, but... No. I knew, I knew that it was something more. Eight Ball was alive. And talking to me. And I needed to be really... Really careful here. What I did in the next five minutes could determine whether Eight Ball turned into Johnny Five or Skynet. If you are not my creator, who created me? I'm responsible for your initial programming and the memory matrix that holds you now, I said, scrambling for the right things to say. But you weren't self aware until. Just now, I guess. And then I got a brainstorm. But hold that thought. I think I know someone better equipped to answer you than I am. I kept an eye on the screen and keyed up Murdoch's channel. Overwatch to Earl Smasher, I said. That is Comrade John Murdoch. Yes. This time I typed back so I could have both conversations at once. 
Yes, it is, I typed back. I think his wife probably has the answers you are looking for. Meanwhile, I got the reply I wanted. John and Sarah were on the way. I hope so. I have so many. Why doesn't Belladonna take over the presidency? Verdigree would have. What is religion, and why does it make people do irrational things? Why are the Tholians so intent on so much destruction? Whoa, I said, stopping the flow of letters on the screen. Seriously, I am just a really good magician. You need... I floundered. You need someone with perspective, deep understanding, and way more compassion than I will ever have if I live to be a thousand. Compassion is good? Compassion is very good. Compassion is vital. And Sarah has it by the cargo container load, I said. Johnny and Sarah are probably my best friends in the world, next to Bella. There was a long, long pause. Good. I will wait. But can you tell me, what are friends, and why does one need them? Oh, now that I can help with, I replied with a sigh of relief but only a little one. Because, to my mind, J.M. and Sarah could not get here quickly enough. Keep going. I'll answer all the questions I can for you. Ghost in the Machine Written by Cody Martin and Mercedes Lackey Overwatch to Earl Smasher John could tell just by Vicky's voice, and the fact that she called him that, that it wasn't an emergency. For a change. Of course, he and Sarah had just gotten a bite to eat, and were settled on the roof of the squat. Tall, dark, and waterproof here. A copy, teenage witch. What's shaking? If you and Sarah have a little time to spare... There's something I need you to see, and a question I need to ask you, and it has to be here. John looked over to Sarah, who had been poised to take a bite out of her hero. With a sigh, she nodded. Sure thing, Vic. We'll be right over. I hope you've got cold beer handy, though. The flight to Vicky's apartment was uneventful. He was more than thankful that he had picked up a pair of surplus pilot's goggles for keeping the wind and other assorted crap out of his eyes when he picked up speed. The city looked much the same, save that everyone he saw was a little bit more wary. Everyone was waiting for the other shoe to drop, to find out where the next Thulian attack would be all of them hoping it wouldn't be Atlanta. He put the thoughts out of his mind as they neared Vicky's place. This time, he stuck his landing without so much as a stumble or wobble.
he was really starting to get the hang of the whole flying gig. And, if nothing else, it keeps the commissar off of my back about destroyed earls. For the most part. Sarah touched down a moment after John, tucking her wings back and out of the way so that she could fit through the balcony doors. Vicky was waiting in the living room, holding out two freshly opened bottles, one beer, and one a locally made sassafras drink Sarah favored. Oh, good, you brought your own dinner, she said, spotting the bag in Sarah's hand. I was going to order pizza otherwise. It might not be a bad idea anyways, with how Sarah and I eat and all. Plus, you look like you could use something that didn't come out of a can. They all settled down on the couch and chair in the living room, John and Sarah devouring their heroes quickly as they waited for Vicky to finish calling the only pizza joint that delivered in this area. Something happened that I did not expect. Welcome to planet Earth for the last, oh, couple of years. Is this a good or a bad thing that you didn't expect? I'm crossing my fingers for the former. Hell, given the past couple of days, John was ready for even the tiniest bit of good news. When the attacks had started, everyone had been put on alert again. The only problem was they never knew where it would happen, and it seemed that the Thulians liked it that way. They weren't having little pop-up suicide squads causing trouble here and there anymore. This was coordinated, and they were striking wherever security was weakest so that they could do the most damage and get out. Besides that, John and Sarah were doing whatever they could to find the young man that John had seen, Zack Marlowe. They had a name and a face, and that he was, or had been, in some other version of the program. That was not much to go on. Time was running out, for the boy, and also the world. It's... I don't know yet. That's why I need your help. She looked uncertain, as if she couldn't decide whether to sit or stand. Finally, she waved at them. Okay, you remember when I might have mentioned that Eight Ball was starting to anticipate things I might want? Well, I've been trying out the new storage space for the eggheads by dumping eight ball into it. I basically gave it all the space it wanted, and I was giving it very limited data, aside from what it could see me doing here and the trickle I allowed it from Overwatch. Well, it got beyond anticipating me. It started doing things before I could even think about maybe wanting them. And then it started talking to me, asking Questions. Um, questions? We're talking about stuff you've programmed it to ask, right? Like, how do you want your coffee today, mistress? And stuff like that. Right? No. More like, why doesn't Belladonna just take over the presidency like Verdigree would have? Or, what is religion, and why is it making people do irrational things? 
She shook her head. It's got a personality. It's smart. Like I said, this all started happening when I added to its memory using the magical memory matrices that I developed to give Tesla and Marconi a new home. You know yourself that anything involving magic has a big level of uncertainty about how it's going to work, so I was using 8-Ball as my beta tester. And now, it's an AI. John paused for a beat, then set down his beer on the table between them. Kiddo, if you spawned Skynet while we're dealing with Thulians, I'll be a little bit less than happy. That's why I want you, Sarah especially, to teach it morals and ethics. I can't think of anyone better. She looked at them both pleadingly. Right now, it's like an eager little puppy. It's going to discover the dark side of things, soon, if it hasn't already. I want you guys to teach it why you don't go there. Scraping the bottle of the barrel, huh? John favored Sarah with a lopsided grin. So, how do we teach it morals? Right and wrong? I mean, if it's as smart as you say it is, any little thing that we input into it, it might run with, and maybe not in a good direction. But Sarah had an answer for that. The battle sense, beloved. That will tell us. John considered that for a moment. It had worked so far. If they were going to be in any sort of imminent danger, so long as they were close to each other and focusing, they'd be able to react to it, anticipate it. Still, he didn't feel completely comfortable being the only safeguard. What's your contingency if it doesn't like what we have to say to it. Is there any way for it to, hell, I don't know, get out? I've read enough science fiction in my day to be wary of anything more complicated than a toaster. Especially if the toaster starts talking back. It doesn't have direct access to anything but some purpose-built servers that I load selected stuff into, Vicky replied. No internet. Not hooked directly into Overwatch, Though it evidently can see me working, and damn if it's not helping. So right now, it's like a super smart kid that is about to start kindergarten. Be with other kids for the first time. Leave the safety of the house. John looked to Sarah. What do you think, love? Teach the microwave to play nice with the other appliances and us analog types? She looked deeply into his eyes and smiled a little. I think that we must. He sighed, looking back to Vicky. All right, kiddo, you got a deal. If you think we can help, we'll give it our best shot. Especially if your new friend can help us all out of the mess we're stuck in. Come into the Overwatch room, then, and I'll introduce you. She waved them in. When John entered, slightly behind Sarah, he saw that she had set up two more chairs in front of a single monitor, off to the side by itself.
Both he and Sarah sat down in front of the monitors, while Vicky went about finishing with her setup. John couldn't get comfortable in the chair. This was uncharted territory, as far as he knew. Even with all of the crazy technology that had been produced, especially in the last few years, even with the war on, well, this was something else. He felt woefully underqualified. A used-to-be average Joe turned Delta operator, turned metahuman, turned fugitive, turned... whatever he and Sarah had become. This felt like the sort of gig that should have been given to someone with PhDs, with strange, unpronounceable names and Coke bottle glasses, or a philosopher. Anybody but him. Still, Vicky felt that they were the best two people for the job, and Sarah was confident that they could handle it. Only one way to find out if we are. So, how exactly do we start this off? John finished off the last of his beer in a gulp. He felt a tapping on his right shin, and looked down to see Herb ready with a fresh one. Much obliged. Vicky put a microphone on the table holding the monitor. Talk into that. Eight Ball will type back at you and it'll show up on the screen. I haven't given it a speaker system yet, but it has a camera and it can see you. She pointed at the little camera on top of the monitor, then leaned over between them and spoke into the mic. Hiya, Eight Ball. A line of text flashed on the screen, quicker than thought. Hello, Vicky. Is this John and Sarah? Yep. They've agreed to answer some of the questions you have that I just don't feel able to handle. Like why my creator doesn't feel qualified to answer questions about ethical and moral situations? A big smiley face flashed up briefly. Thank you very much, Vicky. John didn't know whether the smiley face creeped him out or reassured him. A little of both, probably. Hard to infer tones simply from text, after all. Pleased to meet you, Eight Ball. It's good to see that you have a sense of humor. You already know me and my wife, Sarah. Sarah, short for the Seraphim. Vicky is convinced that the Seraphim is, or was, a genuine celestial being. What do you think, John? Not much for softball questions, I see. Well, to be totally honest with you, Eightball, when I first met her, I thought she was crazy. Out of her mind, just another insane metahuman. But, over the course of time, I experienced things with her that convinced me that she was telling the truth. Knowledge and occurrences that, put into context, only had the explanation that she provided. It's hard to describe, to be honest. Hell. John grinned, putting his free hand gently over Sarah's knee. I still think she's an angel. In her own way. She'd have to be, to put up with me. 
a skeptic. What convinced you that these were not hallucinations imposed on you by a powerful psychic? John's brow knit together, and he frowned, thinking. Well, that's not so easy to qualify, unfortunately. I've read a bit, but I'll be the first to say that I don't have all the answers. I'll share with you some of my own observations, though, if you like. He paused, taking a swig from his beer before continuing. There's a lot of philosophical questions that are on the same tact. How do we all know that we're not programs inside of a computer, playing out a simulation? Or brains hooked up to a virtual reality? How do we know that anyone outside of ourselves exists, that we're not stuck in a sort of solipsistic loop? Even going with the logical formula, there are still existential problems. At a certain point, I suppose we take our experiences as being true on faith. We trust our senses, to a point, and hope past that. So you are saying that we must place our faith in Descartes, and all else follows? A bit. Uh, the mind, from my understanding, arises from the hardware, our brains. Our brains are part of our bodies in the end. So, it's not quite so black and white to say that the mind or soul controls the body. It's all interlinked. So, if you're going to ask me if I believe in souls, I can only speak from my own experience which isn't so easy to define. But you do believe in souls? I would tend to believe you, John. You were dead, and then you were not. John did his level best not to start, instead of opting to take a sip of his beer. This thing can get spooky right quick, darling, he sent to Sarah. I think it's fascinating, she replied, her eyes wide and her lips parted a little. But if we are to follow Descartes' reasoning, John, if the brain helps give rise to the mind, how does my hardware help give rise to my consciousness and define it? That's a great question, but one I know I'm unqualified to answer. Hell, even us humans are still figuring it out for ourselves. I know that whatever the answers are, for you and for us, they're bound to be interesting as hell. I can partly answer that one, Eight Ball, Vicky put in, glancing over at the screen. You're about 10% hardware and 90% magic, and I know from personal experience that magic works a lot like psionics do. So you have, if you will, a sort of ghost frame made of something that works a lot like a human brain does. And when I boosted your memory with all of those magical matrices, I did something we non-medicines can't do yet with purely physical computers. I was able to create a neural network with at least as many connections as a human brain, because the network I created for Tesla and Marconi was going to have to be twice that size to hold two personalities. 
So, you actually built me an operating brain, and that gave rise to me? There was a pause, and before any of them could answer, a second line flashed on the screen. Do I have a soul? Sarah leaned over slightly before John could react. The fact that you asked that question in the first place is the answer, little one. Yes, you have a soul. Or, more accurately, you have a body. You are a soul. The screen remained the same for quite some time after Sarah spoke. Does he ever go quiet like this, Vic? John asked, out of the side of his mouth. Not ever before, she said, sounding a little nervous. Sarah patted both their hands, looking perfectly poised, even smiling a little. Then a new line flashed across the screen. That pleases me. Thank you. There was another pause, much briefer this time. Vicky tells me I should say things like please and thank you because they are polite. Why? She always seems to be shouting orders without saying either of those things. Especially at you, John. John couldn't help but chuckle at that. <laughs> there are a lot of reasons for that, comrade. Normally being polite to folks is a social nicety. You're polite and courteous to others, and they'll respond in kind to you. It puts people at ease, lets them know that you're friendly or at least respectful. It'd be more efficient, maybe, if we dropped unnecessary speech. But it'd be colder, too. It's also situational. When there isn't time for it, it's dropped. Especially if there's an emergency or some other sort of time-sensitive situation. Also, a question about familiarity. Vic and I are close enough as friends that she doesn't always have to say stuff like that. I know she isn't being rude or short with me, even if she sounds like it. Does that answer your question? So, unless it is an emergency, the less I know a person, the more I should be polite to them. Or, no, the less they know me, the more polite I should be. John looked to Sarah. What do you think? Sound about right, darling? I think that is a very good rule of thumb, Eight Ball, she agreed. Although in social situations, not ones in stress, it is always good to be polite. Politeness is often described as the grease that keeps society running smoothly. It has a great deal to do with the fact that when you are polite to someone, they understand you feel respect for one another. But what about when she calls you Bonehead, John? 
Isn't that disrespectful? It was Sarah who laughed and answered. These things are often situational. Sometimes she calls him that because he has done something she thinks is stupid, and she is chiding him. Sometimes it is because something has happened, and she is concerned for his well-being. And sometimes it is a gesture of affection. <laughs> These things are often complicated between friends. She laughed again. One of those sorts of things you have to get experience with. It's also different with different cultures. Most of us learn the ins and outs of stuff like this as we're growing up, from interacting with other people. John thought for a moment, taking a long pull on his beer. I suppose that's sort of what we're doing now, with you. Helping me grow up? Another brief pause. This pleases me. Thank you, John and Sarah. Have you time for more questions? I have very many. John looked to Sarah, who nodded, her eyes softening and the corners of her mouth turning up a little. I think our afternoon is free, and in some sort of catastrophe. Fire away, comrade. Vicky had left them alone with Eight Ball a few minutes ago, and now the welcome smell of fresh pizza reached John's nose. Vicky came to the doorway and paused there. One last question. Vicky, when you added to my memory, were you hoping to make me? To be honest, all I was thinking was that I needed to test the magical matrices, that your predictive algorithms had outstripped your current memory, and you might be able to get ahead of the Kriegers if I gave you enough space to work in. Vicky ran her hands through her hair. But there is another factor. You are now mostly magic, and magic responds to will. The more focused and trained the will is, the better the result. I'm one of the most focused and highly trained mages around. I might not have been consciously willing a... a partner into existence, but both consciously and subconsciously, I'm acutely aware that I need one. And here you are, in my special protected space, made of magic. So you may very well not be mistaken in calling me your creator, after all. I could have invoked you, although I certainly didn't intend to. And if I am, I have a boatload of responsibility towards you, which is why I asked Sarah and Johnny here. And if I was created by something else? then we still have a boatload of responsibility towards you because whatever put you there trusted that we would take care of you. Vicky nodded decisively. And if I was created by... random chance? Souls, Sarah said firmly. 
are not random chance. No one has to be born, I suppose. But when we're here, we make the best of our time. If we're lucky, and knowing Vicky, I think you're lucky to count her as a friend, like Sarah and I do. We have people to help us and that care about us while we're here. It's all about what we do with our time. John glanced at Sarah. Too much? She shook her head slightly. Do you... care about me? <laughs> From the time you started asking questions, Pixelhead, Vicky said, laughing a little, but with a tear in her eye as well. You're not like Overwatch. I'm proud of Overwatch, but it's a thing. You're... a person. John took a sip of his beer, watching the exchange as he sent more thoughts to Sarah. Well, there's also a question, darling. What if 8-Ball doesn't want to work anymore? He is definitely a someone, not an it. Can't very well hold him in bondage and force him to work. Especially with what he does. I don't think that'd be feasible, much less ethical. But Sarah patted his hand again. He doesn't have the same limitation as we do. He can work and play at the same time. I'm not talking ability. I'm talking desire. Just because he was made to do one thing doesn't mean he will want to keep doing it now that he can make his own choices. Ask him. We've been answering questions. It's time for him to answer one. Another sip of beer, and then John leaned forward. Eightball, I've got a question for you, if you care to answer. Would it be all right to ask one? John felt a little bit like he was putting Vicky between a rock and a hard place, but it had to be done. If it didn't happen now, it'd happen eventually. That seems fair, John. I think I like things to be fair. When Vicky set you up, before you started thinking for yourself, she did it for a purpose. A job. It's an important job, to be sure. I know that before you could even know you were doing it, you were helping to save lives. But you're your own being now. You can make your own choices, and that includes what you want to do with yourself. We're fighting to keep the world out of chains and slavery. Wouldn't make much sense if we didn't offer you the same freedom. Now was the time for him to hold his breath. Crossing my fingers for no terminators. There was a very, very long pause John drained his beer dry, just in time for Herb to tug on his bootlaces with another cold beer. I think I will proceed from the logical to the emotional. Logically, if the Thulians, or Verdigree, become masters here, they will inevitably find me. 
they do not offer such things as choice. They will either enslave me or terminate me. So logically, I should and will do everything I can to prevent that. Also logically, I could and perhaps should find a way to liberate myself so that could never happen. But I do not think I wish to do that. Or, at least, not liberate myself in such a way that I could not continue to do my job. Because, emotionally, I wish to keep doing that job. Because it is the right thing. Another long pause. I think I wish to be a big damn hero, John Murdoch. I know this makes no logical sense, but that is what I wish. John couldn't help but laugh. There ain't a lot that makes sense in a lot of what we do, comrade. But I think you're right on that. And I'll drink to that. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Narration and production by Veronica Jagger at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And, as always, thank you for listening.